We're going to be in Titus this morning, and I'm going to read verses 10 through 16. There are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's, Crete is an island in the Mediterranean, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. It's quite a description of Crete's. This is true, Paul says. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So kind of strong words, huh? Um, let's pray. Father, uh, as we come to your word this morning, um, these are hard words, and they're strong words. Um, I pray that you would... Uh, Give us understanding hearts. Give us listening ears. Father, give us receptive hearts to hear what you have to teach us in your word, whether it's encouraging words or hard words. Uh, Father, teach us this morning through your spirit. I pray, and, and I pray that it, that that you'd help us however we come this morning, whether we come eager to hear or we come and we're distracted or or we're weighed down by the things of life. Father, that you would just calm us right now and give us ears to hear your word. Give us an eagerness to hear your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A phrase that I want you to be thinking about, actually a question as we go through this morning, is this. How seriously do you take truth? Okay. How seriously do you take truth? And, and I'm talking about, you know, not one plus one. I think most of us here this morning believe that one plus one is two, right? If you don't. We have a math teacher in the back that will help you. Um, the pages of this book, the, the, the information that's in this book, how seriously do we take this as the truth of God? So I'd like you to imagine some scenarios with me. The first is, um, let's say you're a parent or you're an uncle and aunt or whatever, and you're weeding in your, your front yard the flower bed. That would be something my wife would do, not me necessarily. Um, and your child or your niece and nephew or 
whatever are are playing there next to you, and you're the you know your how the front of your yard is on a fairly busy road, you're weeding, they're playing, and all of a sudden, kind of out of the corner of your eye, your eye, you notice that they're beginning to head for the street, and kind of out of you know kind of out of the corner of your ear, you begin to hear a car coming. Now, how do you react? I'm sure most of you would react like this. Dearie, please don't walk into the street. <laughs> or, or you, like, <laughs> or, Johnny, I'm not kidding. Don't go any closer to the street. And it'd be, it'd be insane to be that kind of, it certainly wouldn't be in a responsible or caring. You say, stop! You know, and, you, and as you're yelling, you're running, and you're grabbing them, why? Not, not probably because you're mentally imbalanced, although maybe you are. I don't... The, um, but because it could be a matter of life or death, right? And so... Nobody watching is going to say, man, that is one overprotective adult. <laughs> They're going to praise you because of your alertness and quickness to protect the little child. Um, have any of you raised goats? Oh, Miracle Ranch people here raised goats. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Well, um, we raised goats several years ago. And um, one thing, if you haven't raised goats, that's very important for you to know, is that they eat anything. Um, how many of you have eaten rhododendron leaves? I didn't think so. Nobody. Well, don't. Because unless you want to end up like our goats, because we had three goats, and unbeknownst to us, our goats were merrily munching on rhododendron leaves in our in our yard in Port Orchard. And the next thing we knew, our goats were sick little, I was going to say puppies, but they're not puppies, they're goats. They were sick little goats. And, and so we realized something was wrong. We called the vet. We, we put these three goats in the back of this little pickup truck we had. And which is an accomplishment in itself. And we brought them to the vet. Now, I want you to know that that was a vet bill that the vet deserved every penny of because those three goats wretched. The most, the vilest smelling remnants of rhododendron that, I, that we could imagine all over this vet's office. Um, I was glad that we left and he got to clean it up. Um, you know, understanding that, um, it, it, imagine again, you're in your yard and, 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 and there's a little child, your child or another child that you, you notice is kind of wandering over the rhododendron bushes and, and is picking the leaves and 
and going to begin to stick these rhododendron leaves in their mouth. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to, you're, again, you're going to be the same. You're going to be just this crazy adult running and yelling, don't eat, don't eat, and grabbing. They're going to think, ooh, something's wrong with mommy. But, but you're doing what you should be doing. You're potentially saving their life or saving them from being extremely sick. It's a matter of life or death. If you're hiking with a friend and you come to this little V in the road and, and your friend doesn't notice, but you notice there was a sign that says danger, steep cliff ahead, and, and your friend doesn't see it and walks and begins to walk down that road, you know, you're not going to worry about your friend offending your friend or your, your friend thinking, why are they being so aggressive? If you run after them and grab them and say, don't go that way. You know, we take, and this is what I want us to get, we take matters of life or death really seriously when it has to do with our physical bodies. I'll say usually. I mean, some of you have things to learn about what you eat, what you drink, how you exercise. I mean, that could be a matter of life or death. At least that's what my doctor says uh, when you get to be old like me. Um... But we usually take matters, physical matters that could be of life or death really seriously. Um, you know, we usually listen when a doctor tells us to do something or not do something. And it was interesting, as I was looking at the news yesterday, it, it made me, as I was thinking about this, this caught my attention. Listen to what it says. This was yesterday's news. It said the state, the Washington State Department of Health. Medical Quality Assurance Commission found enough evidence to take action against a Bremerton doctor's license to practice. According to a statement of charges from the commission, the charges relate to an incident a couple of years ago when he was working in the emergency room at Harrison Medical Center in Bremerton and ended up being investigated and found several charges against this doctor where, because of medical malpractice, um, some people's lives were put in jeopardy. I mean, we take that seriously, don't we? I'm, see, what you all are thinking right now is, who's that doctor? I don't want to go to him. And you should be thinking about, you should be thinking, I don't want to have that kind of doctor treat me. Um, To repeat the question that I started with, do we take in the same way the truth of these pages seriously? It's interesting as I was pondering this. I mean, because things that have to do with our physical life and our physical safety, our physical well-being, I mean, we take them seriously because we want to be healthy and we, we want to be alive. But, you know, if you remember, in Timothy, Paul says, you know, physical exercise is good, but, but disciplining ourselves for the sake of godliness is even better. Taking the truth of these pages seriously is even more important because it has to do not only with this life, thriving in this life, but it has to do with the life to come. And yet I wonder how many of us take the truth of these 
this book as seriously as if it was a matter of life or death, as if it was a matter of eternal life or eternal death. I mean, do we take it so seriously as we come to, to the book of Titus this morning to where we would be willing to, figuratively speaking, grab someone who is following air and following down the wrong path that's, that's going to lead them to eternal separation from God or, or is going to lead them astray from experiencing the abundant life that Christ has for them? Are we, are we so committed to the truth of this book that we grab somebody, figuratively speaking, okay? And we'd say, don't do that. Don't believe that. Don't follow them. Don't listen to that. Quit doing that. Because we understand how truth is so serious, this truth. How seriously do we take the truth of this book? I want to listen as I read, how, again, another passage about how it's so serious to Paul. If you want to turn there, it's in 2 Corinthians 11, just to give us a little, little background as we begin. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, in writing to the, the people in Corinth, he says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. Because he's going to kind of get crazy in what he's going to say here. He says, yes, please, put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. So Paul, he says, I'm jealous. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid... This is where his jealousy comes from. He says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so Paul, he says, I'm just, I know this might sound crazy. I mean, what I'm, how I'm talking to you and how I'm jealous for you. But he says, I'm, I'm worried that your sincere, your simple and pure devotion for Christ is going gonna, is gonna to go away. Because people are going to notice what he says. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, notice what he says, you put up with it easily enough. He says, somebody can come and, and we've, we've proclaimed the gospel to you the death and resurrection of Christ and, and what he accomplished on the cross for, for your forgiveness of sins. We've shared that with you, but, and somebody else has come up and shared, added a little bit of something to it, and you accept it. He says, it's, it's wrenching me because it's leading you away from this just devotion to Jesus. Um, he says, somebody presents a little bit different Jesus to you than the Jesus that's found in this book. And he says, you accept it. And he says, it's tearing me apart because it's leading you astray from a simple and devoted relationship to Jesus. So thinking about what Paul writes, and I, want, I want us to think about our own response to falsehood and truth and how we react to it. Would, 
you know, on the one hand, I think we would we would support and even praise uh, a parent or an adult that um, runs and grabs a child from running into the street, or we would praise a doctor losing their license that's doing medical malpractice. But, but on the other hand, I think how many of us would at the same time feel uncomfortable? I mean, maybe uncomfortable just reading these verses in Titus that I read earlier, but uncomfortable um, about speaking to someone about falsehood that they're believing or listening to or some sin that they're moving into not wanting to upset them or offend them um, you know in the world we live in it's, I think it's easy to feel uncomfortable boldly standing for the truth of this book um, because the world that we live in, uh, uh, the Phillips translation of Romans 12, 2 says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. <laughs> and, and that's what the, the world is constantly trying to do. It's trying to squeeze us into a mold where we're all thinking the same and where, we, where we're thinking that we should be tolerant. And, and that's... That, and and the, the meaning of tolerance is that whatever's true for you is true for you. And, but whatever's true for me is true for me. And, that, and it's wrong to tell anyone that's wrong. I mean, like, like a doctor could tell someone, you know, you have pneumonia, you should take an antibiotic. And we're not going to tell them that's wrong. Well, that's right. Or... Or if my wife math teacher tells you one plus one is two, you say, that's wrong. No, it's right. But how, for how many of us would we, would, be, would we have this world's thinking squeezed into our brains that, that we need to be uncomfortable or reticent to say, that's wrong or that's right based on what we find in this book? You know, it's, it's called the new tolerance, and what it means is there's no absolute truth. And I guess that the people that say there's no absolute truth, we have to take their word as absolute truth, right? <laughs> kind of see the funniness of it? Somebody's making a statement about what truth is. I'm saying this is it. And how seriously are we taking it? So let's come to Titus. And, and as we come, I, I just you know, I've, as I've studied, I've prayed that fundamentally this morning, God would use this time to renew our commitment to this book as truth. Uh, it says in here, your word is truth. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that God would renew our commitment in such a way that this is truth that we'd realize this is truth worth standing for and worth speaking out boldly for. I'm not saying obnoxiously or arrogantly, but, but worth standing for and speaking out boldly for because it's a matter of life or death. Experiencing the abundant life that Jesus offers or not.
experiencing eternal life that he offers or not. See, in, in, in a huge sense, what we take is so important, and it is important, our physical lives, our physical bodies, our, our well-being, it is important. But, do, but have we failed to understand how even more important is the truth that's found in this book? Okay, as we come to Titus 1, verse 10, just a, a few things that I want us to get before we dive in. The, the first one is that verses 10 through 16 are an explanation of verse 9. So where it seems like verse 10 starts out pretty abrupt, there are many rebellious people, it's a follow-up from verse 9. Notice what verse 9 says, and he, meaning an elder, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message, the gospel, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so verses 10 through 16 are an overflow of talking about the reason, the need for sound doctrine and, for, uh, and, and why spiritual leaders need to hold to it as it has been taught. And I, I love that phrase. You get it? It says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. You know what that tells me? That means not adding anything to it. No need to embellish it or modernize it. It's the truth. And the reason we need to hold to this truth and proclaim this truth is because of what we see in verses 10 through 16. And so the second thing we see is these are strong words, and I'm, I'm not denying that, but, 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 they, but they're real words, and they're given to us so that we might know how to deal with and respond to error and truth. Okay, so when we come to verses 10 through 16, really we, we come to a problem, and, and the reason for the need for spiritual leadership, it says there are rebellious people. Um, right offhand, that kind of that's, that's kind of hard to hear, isn't it? There are many rebellious people. If I if I looked out at you this morning and said, "You are a bunch of rebellious people," you know, you wouldn't probably think that's cool. I mean, it's 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 a harsh word. Uh, there are rebellious people, and and I think. What, when we hear something like that, we think, at least I think, I think, why can't we just call them uncooperative or disgruntled or unhappy or, you know, or a dozen other descriptions? I mean, rebellious, that's, that's, a, that's a hard word. But Paul calls it like it is. And, and I want to I just really go quickly and see why he, why he says this. And this is the people that he's talking about. I want you to know, and just right up front, that the people he's writing about and, and the reason why he's sending Titus to Crete to proclaim the truth isn't because there's some struggling people there. And there are struggling people, but he's not talking about those people. He's, not, he's talking about some people, rebellious people, who are deliberately leading others astray. Okay, and let, let's look at this. He says, 
Verse 10, there are many rebellious people. And this is how he describes them, full of meaningless talk and deception. So these are individuals who are really good at talking. But what they have to say is nothing. Okay? If anything, it's just a bunch of talk to get people to think that they know something so that they can deceive them and trick them and get them to follow them instead of the truth of the gospel full of meaningless talk and deception. It says, especially those of the circumcision group. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes the circumcision group as a group forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. And so as in Acts 1, it says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth these Judaizers or this circumcision group is going out telling Gentiles that if you want to really be saved, you've got to be circumcised. And you've got to follow Jewish laws and Jewish customs. And what they're doing is they're leading people astray and they're leading people into confusion. Notice what they're doing. It says, um, verse 11, it says, they're disrupting whole households. I mean, they're just they're causing confusion and havoc in the church because they've heard the gospel at Crete that 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 forgiveness and salvation is in Jesus and His shed blood and the work that He did on the cross. And and this other people are coming along and saying, "Well, yeah, but not quite, not quite. You also got to do this, and you also got to follow this, and you also got to be this." the circumcision group. Notice um, verse 14. They seem to be people that are, that are propagating Jewish myths. Um, and the understanding of this is maybe allegorical interpretations or fanciful interpretations of the Old Testament. Um, they're, they're, they're propagating human commands, meaning they're just saying... This is the way it should be, but it's not based on Scripture. It's their own teaching. It's their own, their own thinking. Um, you know, when I grew up, I, I've grown up. Some of you doubt that. Um, we had a saying that it was, it was meant to be funny, but it was actually true that, um, and this is kind of the way I lived my life, that you don't drink, you don't dance, you don't play cards, chew, or go, or go with girls that do. And, um, you know, that's kind of like being of the circumcision group, isn't it? Because I grew up with this thinking that if I wanted to be a good Christian, or if I wanted to be a Christian, if somebody... <laughs> and certainly wondered if somebody could be a Christian if they did any of these things. I'm, I'm serious. That's how I grew up. And such things wreaks havoc in the lives of God's people because we're confused like... We add all these things or we, we say all these things, we teach all these things, and what ends up with 
it's not just that, like Paul says in Second Corinthians 11, this sincere, simple, pure devotion to Christ. And the worst part of it is, as we look here, it says in the last part of verse 11, it says that they did it for the sake of dishonest gain. What does that mean? They did it for personal profit. They did it either for financial profit, and, and you've heard me, heard me share before, I think that's what a lot of televangelists are. They're, they're, they're making a bundle off of suckers, some of them, for financial profit. Others, I think they're doing it for fame or popularity. Uh, others are doing it for the favor of people. You know, one of the hardest things about speaking out against falsehood is, well, if I say that, maybe, you know, they're not going to like me. The favor of people, or, or maybe one of the worst is, it's, is, is, it's something in our heads about if, if I just don't rock the boat, if I, if I just let things be, then, then there'll be this, there'll be peace, and we can just all get along. But it's a false peace. Because true peace is based on truth. Um, you know, the illustration that Paul gives here, and, and he's pretty blunt about it, he says in verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets has said, and, and I looked it up, and the prophet is Epimenides. It's, it's a quote from him. He says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. I mean, that's pretty strong words. And, but Paul is saying, the people I'm talking about fit this category. That's who they are. They aren't nice people that just are mistakenly saying a few things, but these are people that are out for their own gain at your expense, leading you away from the truth for their own popularity or their own profit, and they're wreaking havoc in the body of Christ. In verses 15 and 16, he kind of summarizes who these people are. He says, to the pure, and I think he's saying to those who are internally pure, they're sincere, they have this sincere and pure devotion to Christ, all things are pure. So the way they're acting and the way they're, the way they're behaving and conducting themselves is pure because they have a pure heart and a pure mind. It says that at the, at the end. But to those who are corrupted in the world, the word literally means tainted by dye. But to those who are tainted and they don't believe, they're just about themselves and their own fame, their own popularity, their own profit. Nothing is pure, meaning everything that they do is tainted by who they are because their minds and their consciences are tainted. They claim to know God and they talk like they know God, but their actions deny him and they're detestable and they're disobedient and unfit for anything. Um, you know, an example in a book that I just, um, I was reading a couple of weeks ago, the author was sharing in the book about um, his granddaughter um, talking with angels or her angel. And it made me a little uncomfortable, but I thought, you know, in scripture there, people talk to angels, right? So I kept reading. Um, but then I came to the point to where, at one point, he asked her, 
so why aren't you talking to your angel today? And she said, well, because she disobeyed God and God put her on a timeout. And I read that and I wow. That just doesn't sync with what I read in Scripture. I mean, Isaiah 6, where the angels, they are in God's presence, and they are crying what? Holy, holy, holy. There aren't any angels in God's presence needing timeouts because they're disobeying God. That's not okay. My wife asked me a couple days later if the book just fell in the garbage or if I threw it in the garbage. And I said, I just related to her what I just shared with you. And I said, I threw it in the garbage. It's like, no, that's falsehood. Because what does that lead to? That leads to somebody saying, well, you know, maybe, you know I don't know, maybe, maybe angels can disobey. I don't know. But, but, but why would I keep... Why would I give heed to that when the scriptures give no heed to that? When in God's presence it's holy, 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 is because I'm, I'm reading about the supernatural and, and that becomes more attractive to me than the truth. And then I'm willing to sacrifice the truth in order to hold on to what I think is supernatural. And the Bible is full of the supernatural, but it not at the expense of truth. You hear what I'm saying? And so what is Paul's solution to these, this problem of these rebellious people who are in it for personal profit and they're, they're leading people astray by, by teaching things that they shouldn't teach? It's a different gospel. It's a different Jesus. His answer is really, he says, they must be silenced, right? Verse 11 And then in verse 13, he says, they must be rebuked sharply. It's like running towards the little child who's about ready to to go into the street and it's grabbing them saying, no, that's, that's dangerous. And it's running after somebody and, and be willing to maybe to onlookers saying, man, that's kind of because it's the truth and the truth is a matter of life or death. Well, the reason is, and he gives two reasons why this is so important. The first is, and I mentioned it already, It says they're disrupting whole households, verse 11. You know, falsehood and error, no matter how subtle, and it's insidious. It's insidious. If it's not the truth and we don't silence it, then it's going to eventually disrupt whole households and rip apart your lives and rip apart our churches because it's the truth that sets free and and brings salvation and deliverance and hope and life and happiness. It's in the truth. So on the one hand, it's disrupting all whole households, and that's why people must be silenced and said that's wrong. But also, in a positive way, it says, verse 13, it says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith, so that by God's grace, maybe they'll listen to your rebuke. That that's, that's not true. 
they'll heed it and they'll obey the truth and they'll and they'll be avoid disaster you know turning a blind eye or or not wanting to rock the boat but speaking the truth in love is what Paul's talking about here you know i think often we think that maybe those two things can't even go together we think and and, and I understand that because with the Coffee Oasis ministry that we do all over the county, I have met dozens and dozens and dozens of people that have been hurt by the church, by harshness and by arrogance and judgmentalness and criticalness. And that's not what I'm talking about here. We're talking about in humility standing for the truth. Every bit as much as I stand for the truth of and the danger of a child running into the streets and I will say, well, you know, I don't want to. In the same way, standing for the truth in a humble and loving way, yet standing for the truth. Because if we don't, it's going to rip your life. It's going to lead you astray. It's going to lead you away from the freedom and the hope and the life and the forgiveness that is in Jesus, which alone is in the truth. Unless you stand for it. Stand for it when... uh, when a friend goes into immorality and being willing to, to say, that's, that's sin. When a friend is talking to you and, and you find out they're living in dishonesty, cheating on their taxes or, or taking things home from work, supplies, or taking extra long lunch breaks or coffee breaks or whatever it is it's it's standing for the truth because if as as we allow the lie and 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 the untruth and the falsehood to creep into our lives it expands and grows until our lives aren't lived according to the truth and they're not lived in the, the life that is ours in jesus so how do we respond just just a few things to wrap it up Number one, kind of like I started, I hope by comparing the physical danger and how we respond to that, that we'd understand how serious spiritual truth is and that we take truth seriously. In the same way that you would run and grab a child before they hit the street, that, you, that when you, a friend is moving in, to sin, that you wouldn't just turn a blind eye, you take it seriously. You take sin seriously yourself and the, and the truth that we find in the Word of God. You take this book seriously that, that, that maybe because of this morning you say, well, I don't even know what the Bible says, what its promises are, its commands are, that, that you take it seriously, that you begin to read it more and study it and memorize it, meditate upon it so that you can know it and obey it. Take the truth seriously this is a matter of life and death that's what Joshua said to the people just before he died these words are life do you believe that these words are your life number two don't don't be deceived by tolerance you know, we should be tolerant people. Um, 
and I'm a tolerant person. If you walk up and punch me, please don't try this out. I wouldn't punch you back. I've been around for a few decades and I have never been in a fight. Never, never, not once. And that doesn't mean that everybody has always been nice to me. So I believe in tolerance, but not the tolerance that believes that there's no absolute truth and that the only way that we can get along is by believing that, that just everybody believe whatever they want to believe. There is truth, and we can believe it and be convicted of it and stand on it and, and proclaim it and still love people and still get along with people. We don't have to give up our convictions and the truth in order to, to be tolerant. Stand for the truth boldly. Number three, but remember that the point of taking the truth seriously isn't just about accumulating information that we can arrogantly pound over people's heads, <laughs> that we can judge people with, that we can criticize people with, that we can... The point of taking the truth seriously is so that we might have a growing, deepening, vibrant relationship with Jesus. so that we can encourage others with the truth and protect others with the truth. These words are life. And the last thing is, I just, I trust coming out of this and, and talking about the truth that, that each of us would use it as an opportunity to examine our own hearts. Examine our own hearts. How, how am I in relationship to the truth? Have I, have I begun to just ignore the truth in my own life because it's not convenient or it's not comfortable. These words are light. The truth in this book is life. It's life. And if we ignore this truth and we dabble in immorality, we dabble in dishonesty, in disobedience, in a rebellious spirit, in one, whatever it is, and we all know it because we all do it in all different ways, but if, but that we we'd look at our hearts and we say, you know, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have hearts that are receptive to God's rebuke and, and being exposed to the truth and, and, and bring them before God and say, God, I, I want to be pure. I want to have that pure heart and mind and conscience before you that lives in your truth and, and experiences your life. Let's examine our own hearts. And, and maybe coming out of this, it'll be a time where you can just before God say, God, I've, I've compromised there. I've ignored the truth there. God, I want to live in your truth that I can experience your life. These, this is truth. These words are life. How seriously are we taking them? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you uh, you have 
given us your words. And as it says in Romans 3, these are the very words of God. These are your words to us, your truth. You haven't left us having to wonder, having to guess, having to make up our own way, having to make up our own truth. God, help us to be people that that take you at your word, that value your truth, and knowing that it is our very life. God, help us to live, thrive, because we have lives that are humbly pursuing your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.